Hello, Marlites! Welcome to Marvel's The Pull List for new comic books out July 18th, 2018. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Yeah. And this is San Diego Comic-Con week, y'all. Woo! Wow. Uh, it's, it's very exciting. So much going on. We have a ton of books. Just a quick reminder, though, if you are checking out This Week in Marvel, we're going to have our episode a little bit later this week. That's going to come on Saturday-ish or Sunday. We're not doing a live Marvel's The Pull List, but we are doing it here for you. You're still getting those juicy comic talk. Those juicy comic talk? That's those not English, Tucker. Why would you well, say that? Well, let's think about this. Let's break this down for a moment. Hmm. So talk maybe that that could refer to a plural and those is in reference to a plural. So, you know, maybe it'll just you can interrupt me at any moment. Let's go uh, on to the books this week. Instead of us rambling, (laughs) we've got a lot to get through. I'm going to start things off with Avengers number five. And this is a really key story. When you think about it, it's saying that life on Earth sprang from the result of a celestial that died here on the Earth while it was still a cooking, while it was still, Mm -hmm. you know, like a little bit of that cosmic stew. The celestial comes and it's sick and it dies. And Ghost Rider has the best way of summing this up. We are God's vomit. (laughs) That's his line in this book. And it's so good. This one is written by Jason Aaron with art by Paco Medina and Ed McGinnis, Juan Velasco, Mark Morales, Carl Story, and David Curiel with letters by Corey Petit. You know, this one ends up being a really heartbreaking story mm-hmm. because you've got gods like the Celestials. They are space gods. And there's one that's out there looking for its lover and finds nothing but death, mm-hmm. finds its lover dead on the planet and then just falls to despair and madness. And it's Jason has this great way of writing a story about sort of almost impenetrable giant concepts of these space gods and turning them into something that we can easily relate to Mm -hmm. and sympathize with and feel sorry for. And then so this space god is lost and alone and is twisted by sorrow. But then, of course, he turns it into a giant battle of giants, a giant battle of giants. (laughs) This is the kind of massive, fun, high-stakes Avengers action that I absolutely love, and it is gorgeous. The splash pages of the Celestials, so cool. The scale and the the quirkiness of Paco Medina's faces. He does a lot of the, the work on this one, just like... The emotions that he gets through in in all his characters, especially Loki. Ed McGuinness, he has a scene where Hulk and Thor are eating and it's just her face with her cheeks full of this weird stuff that they had to eat. It's great. (laughs) I love this book. My first book this week is Cable number 159. It is written by Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson with art by Herman Peralta, colors by Jesus Abertov, and letters by Travis Lanham. Previous issues of Zach and Lonnie's run of Cable have explored different moments in the immediate aftermath or during uh, previous Cable stories or previous X-Men or X-Force stories. This one is really interesting and it kind of springs out in a new way because as opposed to being bound by that and by past issues, it takes its boundaries from Nathan Summers' life itself and his future and his past and how that all kind of gets mixed up. It tells a really personal and dark, twisted, kind of disturbing tale of how he encounters this techno-organic monster that he's encountered at several different points. And it's like infects his best friend. 
Yeah. Uh, so it's his like his the thing that's haunting him is his own fault. Right. And he has to deal with the guilt around that, even though it's not his fault. Right. It's his fault. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so there's so much wrapped up in that. Yeah. Yeah. There there were great it, there were great kind of horror beats in this issue that I really liked. That that like uh, first person POV yes. shot of yep. Midas chasing young Nathan. Yep. Was so well done. Hermann is so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah, yeah, and the colors from Jesus Abertov, I feel like, really get that horror vibe, kind of like lost in the woods. The moonlight is the only thing lighting a lot of this story, and and, and it just works so perfectly. Like I said, it's this kind of dark and twisted tale, but it all uh, ultimately speaks to the imagination and how well Zach and Lonnie know this character because despite the the insane timey-wimeyness of everything going on in this series it still fits so perfectly totally uh, i believe this is the last issue of this series and soon we roll into extermination Ooh, we get a little yes. tease of that at the end of this one yeah oh boy oh boy oh boy <laughs> up next is hunt for wolverine claws of a killer number three half the book is docking cursing, and I am just like so into it. He's cursing people. He's cursing at the situation, just in general. It's funny and so like spot on with his personality. It's written by Mariko Tamaki, pencils by Butch Geis and Mark Chater, inks by Cam Smith and Mark Chater, colors by Dan Brown, letters by VCs Joe Sabino. But, you know, this is about this trio of Dokken, Sabretooth, and Lady Deathstrike dealing with zombies. And it is just so much fun. It takes a really weird turn that throws in big emotional stakes and upsetting things for some of these characters, which I was not expecting at all. But this might be my favorite of the four Hunt for Wolverine series. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Yeah. It's like a great combination of high stakes, but like keeping this like great tone going between the characters at the same time. Uh, It's so well done. My... Guess what, folks? Pick of the week is... What's... What's wrong? Did they break it? The bell is... Maybe he's on his last legs, but my pick of the week is the Immortal Hulk number three O-Man. For me, this is going down as one of the great efforts and results of an individual issue of 2018 so far. And I fully expect it to stay there through the rest of the year because it is so incredible. What's happening here is we're getting four different stories on an encounter with the Hulk. And those are told from four different characters via this reporter who's going around and asking questions. But what's so cool about it is that these four different perspectives are told with completely different art styles so all told there are five artists putting in incredible work on this issue five art teams five art teams in total yes and i loved it so so much it's written by al ewing so the framing sequence of this story is by joe bennett he's the series artist with inks by roy jose then there's a cop story that has art from Leonardo Romero. There's a bartender story, which is told by Paul Hornschmeyer, who does art and colors and letters in such a specific, really, really cool way. There's an old lady story, which has art and colors by Marguerite Sauvage. Not the only time we'll see her this week. No, that's right. She does incredible work elsewhere, and we'll touch on that really, really quickly. And then there's a pre-story, which has art by Gary Brown with colors by Paul Mounts. And there are letters throughout, except where indicated by Corey Petit. Whew. 
A lot of creators went into this one, but it serves the story really Oh, well. it, it, it comes off so, so brilliantly. It's a kind of Rashomon-style story in that we get these different perspectives, and it feels like it's tailor-made for a comic book, and it's tailor-made to be realized this way, all you know, paired with the incredible writing of Al Ewing as we're kind of further unraveling this take on Bruce Banner and the Hulk and the position that he holds at this moment in time. There's so many, so many great moments in here. And uh, yeah, it stands out to me among comic books throughout 2018. Yeah. Okay. So... I wanted to get into a couple of the characters we see here. One, we see him on the cover, and he plays a major role throughout the story. His name is Hotshot. The other character who we see later in the book, I won't tell you too much about that character. She is named Jailbait. I'm sorry. (laughs) I did not name her. (laughs) That is her name. They were members of a group called the Riot Squad, a team that worked for the leader. But they were uh, from this small town. They got powers when the leader blew up their town with a gamma bomb because he was doing experiments. I think he killed like 5,000 people. Mm. The leader is a jerk. But Hotshot can shoot gamma or like some kind of energy bursts. Jailbait can create some sort of energy cage around people. That's the context. You don't need to know any of that, but I like saying like, what they're doing with this kind of story is built upon years of, of, of other Hulk stories and thoughts. And there's so many foundations to this that I thought it was really interesting. Oh, so, yeah. Paul Hornschmeyer, amazing indie comics artist. Uh, Marguerite Savage draws Hotshot like James Dean. It's so good. <laughs> and then Leonardo Romero draws Hulk kind of like a green Bruno Sammartino almost. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> love it so much. All right. That was it. Uh, Next book up is Infinity Countdown number five. This is written by Jerry Duggan. Pencils by Aaron Cooter and Mike Hawthorne. Inks by Aaron Cooter and Jose Marzan Jr. Colors by Jordi Belair. Letters by VCs Corey Petit. As someone who's read plenty about the Infinity Gems slash Stones, I am very much enjoying how the team is doing different things with them this time. The Gems slash Stones, they're acting and working differently And that really fits with this strange assortment of characters who hold all the stones. You know, you've got Turk with the Mind Stone and him talking about being a stilt man at one point. And it's just, it's great. It's not what you expect at all, but it works really well in the story. And having him mess with Stephen Strange, who's got a different stone. And Black Widow's like, I definitely don't want the stone. I can't get rid of the stone. What's going on? We see a lot of things going on here. And maybe my favorite page in Mm. comics this week is the full page splash of a member of the Guardians having this vision when they touch the soul stone. It's creepy and it is cool and it is so detailed. I love Aaron Cooter and Jordy, what they did on this page. It's incredible. I'm really looking forward to, at one point, reading this as one long story. Yeah. Serialized, it's great, but I think it'll really, like, click a lot when you get to what it is in one sitting. Yeah. I I think that's going to be really neat. And there's some really weird stuff happening in here. I don't want to spoil I'm trying to avoid all spoilers and just talk about how it's a cool book. The end. (laughs) Goodbye. Uh, We spoke briefly about Marguerite Sauvage and how she did some great work in The Immortal Hulk. But, oh boy, she is doing some incredible stuff in The Life of Captain Marvel. Number one. (laughs) The belly ain't working too well tonight, but it is one of my picks of the week. Oh, man. And so, so deservedly so. I... Loved this issue a ton. Let me get through the credits really fast because this is, again, like Immortal Hulk, told in a a really interesting way where the present day 
events of this story have an artist team and the past have their own creative team. And it works so perfectly and seamlessly. It's written by Margaret Stoll. And then the present day creative team has pencils by Carlos Pacheco and inks by Rafael Fontariz and colors by Marcial Meniz. And then the flashbacks are done so gorgeously by Marguerite Sauvage. And then letters are across the board by Clayton Cowles. Ryan, talk about this. One. We now know that Tony loves the MC5. (laughs) MC5 is a legendary mm, sort of proto-punk band. They're from Detroit. If you don't know them, stop listening to this. I'm going to say that very rarely. (laughs) Stop listening to this for a moment. Go check out the album, Kick Out the Jams, and the song, Kick Out the Jams. And then look at what year that originally came out in. And you're just going to be like, what is happening? Anyway, he's wearing an MC5 shirt in in the book. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I love it a lot. But I've heard Joe Quesada talk excitedly and lovingly about this book at several creative retreats. I mean, I've heard the pitch from Margie and and just feel the general buzz of excitement around this book. And it, it just it absolutely delivered for me. It's a very heavy book. There is some superheroing in here, but it's more tied to what's going on with Carol physically and mentally dealing with some stuff. And That's sort of like, oh, great, we got the superheroing out of the way. Now I want to get to the meat and potatoes, which is getting to who Carol is and what made her. And that's what this book is really about. We get the flashback art by Marguerite Sauvage, and it's it's loose in all the right ways. It gives a sense of memory and recollection that is a difficult thing to sort of portray when you're supposed to get across a comic book and, and, you know, all the storytelling. It's somehow absolutely gets everything you need across, but also makes it feel like it is not present. It's a really wonderful piece of art. And of course, Carlos Pacheco does big superhero stuff so well, but his he hits the family and the home and the personal in ways I don't remember seeing him do, at least not in a long time. And Margie is just telling a really special story here. Stuff with Father's Day and and the relationship she has with her father, with her brother, her mom. It's a really important book because it it takes someone who is flying above us, but makes her so relatable. Man, I loved it. Yeah. Super terrific. Yeah, it's beautiful. Super terrific. Next book up is Marvel Superhero Adventures, Ms. Marvel and the Teleporting Dog number one. It's written by Jim McCann, art by Dario Brizuela, colors by Chris Sotomayor, and letters by Joe Caramagna. These books are just the most adorablest. This has one of my favorite covers of the week by Jacob Chabot, and it has got Lockjaw and Ms. Marvel and Spider-Man. For some reason, one of Spider-Man's little booties fell off, <laughs> and it is so great. It's adorable. Jim McCann is so very nerdy, and I love him dearly. He's a very good friend of mine. I feel like this was a way for him to write a story that included Kamala and Lockjaw and the Serpent Society and create a new character. Again, This is a book to give to a kid if you want them to not feel like it's talking down to them Mm -hmm. and you want them to get excited about comics the way we all get excited about comics. This is a great starting point. Totally agreed. And next up is something decidedly not for the kids. Give it to a child. Give it to a (laughs) five-year-old and tell them this is what's going to happen. Deal Uh, with it. This is Old Man Hawkeye number seven. It's written by the dastardly Ethan Sachs with art by Ibrahim Roberson and Marco (laughs) Cake. You could have gone in there and been like, by evil Ethan Sachs. Alliteration is our bread and butter, my boy. 
Except in that uh, instance, it would be assonance because it is vowels and not consonants. Boom! The assistant editor strikes back. Hell yeah. Um, uh, The art on this book. If you said that to Stan Lee, you would just get escorted out of the building. Your no prize is being fired. The art on this book is by uh, a duo of pencilers. Ibrahim Roberson does pages 1 through 19, and Marco Caquetto comes back for the final page 20. Colors are done by Andres Mosa, and letters are by Joe Caramagna. I love the cover of this issue. It's by Marco Caquetto as well. It just it looks super different. It's a kind of a, a eagle-eye view of a bloodied and beaten young Clint. This is the story of the day it all went wrong. We know uh, what is going on in the present day of Old Man Hawkeye and how that leads into five years down the line that leads into Old Man Logan. But we know that it all references this day where, you know, the, the age of superheroes ended and the bad guys won. This tells that day as Hawkeye is aboard the Quinjet with the Avengers, with a bunch of superheroes. With the Thunderbolts. With the Thunderbolts, uh, which is a crucial crucial part, as we know, uh, with this series that is his animating adventure that he's on now. But where it all began was this one day where it is so devastatingly told because they're just on another mission, or so they think. They're talking to each other. Thor's there, War Machine. The entire crew is there, uh, and they're just kind of going on another uh, mission that they think they're going to come out on the other side. They're going to beat the bad guys, and they're going to come out like they always do. And then things go so wrong so fast, and it is disturbing pretty much immediately the quinjet gets blown up and then several heroes meet their demise almost immediately and the heroes as a whole are kind of shaken into realizing that this time is different and it it feels like a perfect story to tell with issue number seven this is a 12 issue limited series so we're kind of halfway there which is hard to believe in itself but this is the perfect little moment to zoom out of the old man hawkeye story look back to where it all began before diving back in with issue eight and uh oh boy if, if you like blood, death, and destruction, then you're going to have a, a great time. <laughs> this is <laughs> this a very one. mean story. Yeah. I am looking forward to reading the behind-the-scenes commentary that you do with Ethan. Yeah, that'll be up the week that 8 comes out when we can zoom into this one. But uh, while you mentioned it, the commentary of issue 6 is up at the moment where Ethan talks about Kate coming back into the fold, and that is super cool. You can go check that out on Marvel.com right now. Yeah. Great. We can continue on to Peter <laughs> Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man number 307. I love big Spider-Man and, and big superhero stories in which punching is not the way to win. That is a really great aspect of things, mm-hmm. and you got heart and love and understanding and empathy can turn the tides. I think that is a really important thing, uh, and that's Part of what's here in Spectacular Spider-Man, written by Chip Zdarsky, breakdowns by Adam Kubert, finishes by Juan Ferreri, colors by Jason Keith and Andrew Crossley, letters by Travis Lanham. You know, Chip is definitely a cut-up, one would say. (laughs) He's a laugh riot. He's a, what's another word for funny person? A, uh, a card? Yeah, he's definitely a card. Is that does is that one? Yeah. But man, Uh, (laughs) that guy gets Spider-Man and knows how to write a great emotionally, like, devastating slash uplifting comic yeah, seriously. so well. Yeah. So, so well. The last page here, you know, you're you're waiting to get to this wonderful moment. The things that our characters have been through, Spider-Man and Teresa and Jonah and May, and then you, you're about to get to this thing that could be so beautiful. 
and it takes a turn and it just ah, it's such good comic books. Yeah. It is the story that I wanted, even though I didn't know I wanted it to end that way. Yeah, totally, totally agreed. Next up is Runaways number 11, which is written by Rainbow Rowell with art by the incredible Chris Anka, colors by the immense Matthew Wilson and letters by the great Joe (laughs) Caramagna. Oh, yeah. There's a good bell ring right there. Because this is one of Ryan's picks of the week. So good. I want to say that the cover to this issue includes numerous comic book creators who are friends with Chris Anka, including Kate Leth, Kevin Wada, Jen Bartel, and many more. I've seen them tweet about it. He tweeted about it. It was neat. I'm sure there's so many more that I just don't know. Here's a secret. Hmm. I may like this current iteration of Runaways more than any other, even the original. Wow. How about that? That's high praise. How about them potatoes? Wow. They are garlicky and delicious. <laughs> uh, I love I love the original, but this is just such a perfect mix of humor and wit and heart and gorgeousness and quirk. There's a moment here where I thought, ooh, nefarious people. And then it was just, no, it's just a simple thing that hinges on a realization that Gert has. And I thought that was a really smart and fun storytelling thing. Really, this one is a lot of more personal interactions between the characters. There's really upsetting stuff with Victor, who is now just a head, but he's a head who feels and he has, you know, very specific things he does or does not want out of his new lease on life. Doombot is in here. He's got a big role this past story. Gert goes through some changes. Molly is great and she's big and bombastic and funny. Plus, there's a great moment where the runaways go and look for one of their own, a character who's not in the book so far, but has been part of the team and what happened to her. It was really great to get a bit of that story here and really thinking about the ways that they explore family and love and who we want to be, who we want to be around, who makes us feel at home, like all those aspects I think is a really important thing. And this creative team just killing it every issue. Next book is Spider-Gwen number 34. And this is the end. Wow. (laughs) It is written by Jason Latour, art by Robbie Rodriguez, Rico Renzi and Lauren Affey. Letters by Clayton Cowles. Man, I can't believe this is the end. 34 issues. Plus, you know, we saw Gwen before her ongoing. We we saw her in Edge of Spider-Verse and throughout Spider-Verse. What a ride. Earth 65. And thinking about the arc of Gwen and all that she and her surrounding characters have been through. Especially Mm -hmm. Gwen. I mean, this is her story. And what she's dealt with, dealing with all the the Peter Parker stuff, the Kingpin stuff, the Matt Murdock-y stuff, the Punisher stuff, multiversal wackiness, Spider-Ham showing up, the Watchers, you know, getting involved, like so many different things. Mm -hmm. But this issue just takes it all and says, we're going to talk about family. Yeah. And it's Gwen and her dad having a conversation. And here, you know, they don't really understand each other, Gwen and George Stacy, but they love each other and they try to to figure it out and they try to see each other through their, you know, each other's eyes. It's it's weird. There's there's a part where Gwen, she's like manifesting spiders in Captain Stacy's shoes, but it's because she's trying to like be close to him and protect him. She doesn't want anything to go wrong and he's freaking out about it, but he's like starting to get it. You get these great moments and, you know, There's a wonderful piece in this issue where sirens are going on. They're having this great conversation. Sirens go off and she immediately turns and like gets ready to go into action. And he's like, those are fire engine sirens, not police sirens. And he's just, 
has this moment of realization that he couldn't be more proud of her. Mm -hmm. After everything, she is more than he could have ever hoped for in a person. Great letters in the back. I loved this book. More really awesome exploration of the concept of family comes with another Spidey Spider Family book. This is Spider-Man versus Deadpool, number 36. It's written by Robbie Thompson with art by Matt Horak, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by Joseph Eno. There's been a really great arc happening here where we see Matrix in the past and how he, it came to be what that means for the present and how Spider-Man and Deadpool relate to that and then how they then relate to uh, their future selves. This is a really, really cool issue because it turns the chapter in a really interesting way. That was something that I found across a few books this week was it felt like, you know, turning the page in a really, really beautiful way. And I definitely felt that was the case with this issue. There's a crazy giant Galactus throwdown, which is awesome. Uh, well, you got to say that it's a beautiful two-page spread yeah. where you really see it, but it's a type of Galactus, yes. not quite Galactus, yes. versus this amalgam of dozens, maybe hundreds of LMDs. They formed up around Master Matrix. And I, I don't know why I want to use the word crunchy, but it's crunchy. Yeah. It's a crunchy battle. <laughs> it's a cool design. I love what Matt does on that design there. Yeah, I totally agree. It continues to be a book unlike any other in that way where you see things in here that you don't see anywhere else. But again, you know, it's not something you would expect from the book about two of the quippiest, funniest heroes in the Marvel Universe. But you end up really feeling for this character Matrix and for how, you know, he relates to himself and what he is and uh, his place in the world as well as Spider-Man, as well as Deadpool and how they relate to their future selves. That is kind of resolved in a really interesting way. But it all adds up to a super, super unique kind of page turner chapter finishing uh story here with issue number 36 i liked it a lot yeah this book remains one of the sweetest yet violent but also funniest books we publish mm -hmm. we also have spidey schools out number four this week written by john barber art by todd knock and michelle rosenberg with lettering by common crafts jimmy betancourt now this is a big action issue spidey versus shocker and the rhino plus black panther versus vulture it's very fast and intense battles you know, John and Todd really hit the urgency angle through the first, like, three quarters of this book. Spidey's swinging from—he swings from Washington Heights to Forest Hills, which <laughs> is insane. <laughs> I live just north of Washington Heights in Manhattan. And to go from there to Forest Hills with just your webs, young man, <laughs> that is wild. And he actually does it. But he's all the way he's doing that, he's talking about his exhaustion. He's very driven. The tone of his— his thought captions really hits all of that home. His panic, his fear over what could possibly happen to Aunt May. Just, you can feel it. You're just, just ah, gotta get there, gotta get there. There's also a wonderful gonky moment near the end. I love that we have this book for you guys who maybe know the movies better than the comics. This really like bridges all the mm -hmm. gaps so, so well. All right, our next book is Star Wars number 51. Little recap, last issue, everything went to crap. Yeah. It's really interesting looking at Kieran's run in particular and how he took over from Jason because um, Kieran Gillen and Jason Kieran Aaron. Gillen, Jason just Aaron. in case y'all don't know, you know Tucker is on first name basis yes. with all our writers. It's just, fine. Also, just in case is a really talented creator. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> but uh, it's really interesting because it's been spoken about by several members of the creative team and the editorial team that the first big chunk of the Star Wars comic is kind of about elucidating the events in the aftermath of A New Hope, whereas lately, and really, you could really feel it with 50, and you could really feel it with 51 in a big way, it really feels like now we're moving into the events prior to The Empire Strikes Back. So it's it's a it's a slight shift, but it's a definite tonal shift, and if you think back to the crawl of The Empire Strikes Back, you know, it's talking about how the rebellion is on the run, and we're really feeling and seeing that, you know, in action with 50 and, and 51, it continues. Totally. Yeah, and this issue, every Everything is still FUBAR, but the Rebels have hope, and they have skill, and they have Han Solo. <laughs> uh, Salva LaRocca is the artist here, written by Kieran Gillen, colors by Guru Effects, letters by Clayton Cowles. But Salva, he really brings you into the action. His space battles feel like very vivid and, mm-hmm. and fluid, and like you're watching a Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And it's he's such a perfect match for this book. Like his shots of the Falcon flying past Star Destroyers. So neat. Yeah. I love those. Yeah. There's a solid scene in here between Leia and the Queen of Trios. And that scene is really, there's just so much to it, both in what's spoken and seen and what's not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have these two rulers going down two paths, very much thinking about their people in very different ways. I can't wait for more. Next up in the realm of Star Wars is Star Wars Darth Vader Annual Number 2. This is written by Chuck Wendig. Have you ever eaten uh, the Wendigo? No, no. The Wendigo sandwich that Chuck Wendig has, I guess, created. Really? My wife, because he's a, an author. Yes. My wife is a YA author, and so she's part of that, you know, yeah. YA crew, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Uh, and so he would tweet about the Wendigo, and it's, so it's toast mm-hmm. with peanut butter. Okay. If I'm trying to re- recall all the pieces. <laughs> Bacon and pickles. Oh. And I came home... <laughs> From some trip, and she was like, "Do you want a Wendigo?" I was like, "Is that a pet? What are we doing?" <laughs> and so she explained it, and she made it, and it is delicious. Really, it's just the weird mix of of acidity yeah, and yeah. sweet, and just different flavors actually combines wonderfully. Wow. Okay. I highly suggest you check out eat a Wendigo, make one yourself, then tweet it to Chuck because <laughs> he loves it. It's the food sensation sweeping the wow. nation. Yeah, yeah, I I feel like I feel prone to judge that, but I've had I've had a peanut butter fluff hot dog. You're a monster and, and I hate you. And uh, it was delightful. So maybe, you know, when to go, I'll give it a shot. Like fluff. Yeah, fl- fluff fluff is can be rough for some. Fluff can be rough. The new slogan from Tucker Marcus. Uh, it, this issue uh, is written by Chuck Wendig with pencils by Leonard Kirk, inks by Walden Wong and Scott Hanna, colors by Nolan Woodard, and letters by Joe Caramagna. It's been a, a cool focus in Star Wars comics recently, the relationship between Darth Vader and Grand Moff Tarkin. And this issue really digs into that in a huge way. We saw it recently with a great issue of Charles Soule's Darth Vader and seeing how that relationship is super intense and really violent in ways that we really hadn't seen before in kind of an interesting way that once we get to the events of a new hope you know it makes you wonder how these these narratives will be molded into that relationship i'm really excited to see how how it continues on but this issue is so cool because it weaves in so many different elements from rogue one specifically i mean we start on the planet of scarif which is where uh the events of you know the final act of rogue one take place and uh, vader and tarkin are sent there one of my favorite lines of the week takes place where Tarkin goes down to Scarif 
to essentially investigate Project Stardust, which is Galen Erso and Jin Erso. You know, it's like the family secret built into the Death Star, heavily involving the, the events of Rogue One. Tarkin goes down to look into this vault. When he goes down, Vader's already there. And he says, Lord Vader, your presence here is unauthorized. And Vader responds, and yet, Governor, here I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is really, really cool. There's a great device that's used throughout this issue of what's happening in real time, the real events that are going on. And side by side are the events that Vader kind of wants to happen or essentially what's going on in Vader's mind because we see these moments where he's just force choking Tarkin while Those they're just having favorite. a conversation. <laughs> it feels like so delightfully kind of like teen angsty where it's just like you're just in your math class. You're just like, oh, I hate you so much. But yeah. you're just like, oh, the answer, X equals seven. Um, <laughs> there are some really cool tie-ins to uh, the prequels as we go on through this story. There's a lot of great stuff. Chuck Wendig is a great Star Wars author. He's written a few novels. And I would, I would really love to see him jump fully on board uh, as a comic writer moving forward because I loved, I loved this issue. Yeah, I would love to see Chuck Wendig write Darth Vader Private Eye. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's him investigating here, but like, you know, make it a noir story and he's got like an office and, yeah. you know, he's meeting some dames. And yeah. Like, that's the story I want Chuck to write, yeah, which yeah. will never happen, <laughs> uh, which is fine. Another thing about this one is interesting and like our theme about family, you also have this weird family of daddy emperor palpatine yeah. plus his two children yep. darth vader and tarkin and they're like these weird brothers who hate each other but <laughs> have to like live with each other yeah oh yeah delicious. there's a great there's that great palace intrigue that kind of infiltrates every element of this there's a moment where the emperor he like telephones in and he says, remember, Vader, you still report to Tarkin. So if you disappoint him, you disappoint me. Uh, and it's just. Dead. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. It's like great little foreshadowing moments where it's just like we know how Vader rises up that ladder. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really cool. Yes. More Star Wars this week with Star Wars Poe Dameron number 29. We're nearing the end of the Poe series. So I'm curious to mm. see how this all wraps up. Mm -hmm. It's written by Charles Soule, art by Angel Unzueta with colors by Arif Prianto and letters by Joe Caramagna. While I say I'm curious to see what happens, I'm also terrified yeah. because I've come to love the Black Squadron and these missions portent mucho danger. <laughs> they go off on one of their missions here. We get to see them on this planet called Pastoria. There's bug designs for the ships. These are sort of an insectoidish people. Angel does a really cool thing by mixing like 3D CGI graphics and art with actual pencil line art, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, he may be doing it on a computer, but there's like cool 3D stuff in here, the ships, some of the scenery on Pastoria. It's just a really cool presentation for everything that's going on. Yeah. Next up is another pick of the week. This is Thor number three, written by Jason Aaron with art by Mike Del Mundo, color assists by Marco D'Alfonso. Letters by Joe Sabino. We were talking about the concept of family a little bit in, in in this episode, and it's been a big theme. Summer summers have weddings. Weddings happen in the summer, right? Is that true? Is it? It's like it's, it's like wedding season. It's disgusting if you ask me. No one should get married in the just awful heat and humidity. Uh, and we kick off with a wedding here. It's a weird. Speaking of family, it's like a weird kind of. There's interesting math Get that you have to it. do here. Get into okay, it. Okay, so Loki is Hela's daddy. Yes, in this universe, <laughs> like father. And we see him walking her down the aisle uh, to be wed to 
Balder? Yes. Okay, so who is... Loki's brother. Who is Loki's brother, te- I guess... There's no technically. Okay, adopted look, brothers and sisters are brothers and sisters. Okay. They're still brothers. It may not be blood, but it is a brother. Um, yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes. They are both Odinsons. Right. So I'm just trying to soften the blow of like the no, niece man. uncle Let's thing. Let's get in there. Um, so that's where we start, and uh, things get really interesting really quickly. There is some crazy awesome Thor action going on in here. I don't want to spoil anything, but Thor does something really big in this issue. He like makes a big move because he's in desperate circumstances and he needs to do something to kind of finally get himself out of this, essentially this rut that he's been in. And I love that choice. I just think it's such an awesome decision. I'm really excited to see where that goes. But yeah, I, I love the the Thor family, so to speak. You know, each book has like their own great cast of supporting characters and I think that's been such an awesome focus of Jason Aaron's first three issues and you know I hope that it continues yeah there's also a great scene here of Thor riding around uh, on Fenris yeah Fenris is the giant wolf but is also Loki's son so it's (laughs) Thor riding around on his giant wolf nephew and the wolf is just like I don't like this get off of me (laughs) blah 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 and then they fight in the waters and then they it's like a real wedding. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. with some fights. I know my family <laughs> has family. had some wedding fights over the years. <laughs> it's a thing. Uh, Thori is the flower girl. Yeah. And very proud to be the flower girl. Yeah. Big influence in amongst all the great things in this issue, a big influence in Jamie picking this as her, her pick of the week yeah. is the great Thori stuff that happens. Badass hella moments throughout. Oh, yeah. She's so cool in this. There's one page of Scourge and Carnilla that is so sweet, yet kind of bleak. And I think that's what. Jason and Mike do so well is sort of paint this tapestry of funny and fun and really heartfelt and surprising and action-packed and upsetting, all of this weaving it together in the midst of the giant war that they're going through. Mm-hmm. But poor Tyr has the saddest moment this week because he loses his glorious mustache. Oh, yeah, it's wow. Uh, it's, it's upsetting. Oh, I also want to say that they're, just look at the wedding guests that Mike Del Mundo draws yeah, yeah. Uh, throughout all this because they are so cool. He is a magic man. Also, speaking of magic man, we got Tony Stark, Iron Man, number two, done by some magicians in the comic book world. Dan Slott is the writer. Artist is Valerio Schiti. Colors by Edgar Delgado. Letters by Joe Caramagna. This is nearly one of my picks as well. But this is what I love about Dan Slott. He's a huge lover of Marvel and Marvel continuity, but not slavish to it. You've got the Manticore, Sunset Bane, Jocasta, Jocasta's lover, which I will not spoil. All these things rooted in Iron Man and Marvel Comics history, but all of it feels fresh and exciting. So easy to connect to if you are a new reader. If you don't know anything about the Manticore and like why it's cool and and weird and, you know, like dangerous, you get it all here. If you don't know anything who Sunset Bane is, you get her here. If you don't know Jocasta's history, she's not the main character here, but I feel like we're getting so much about who Jocasta is, and it makes me so happy. Also, of course, Rhodey's story. So you've got Jocasta's story, you've got Rhodey's story, which is really, really important, and I I think is makes you feel a lot of things in this issue. Mm -hmm. You know, Dan does big action and funny bits and emotional roller coasters so easily. Plus, Valerio, so adept at hitting all those moments. Thor and Iron Man are so vastly different books in the way they, they look and they feel, but at the same time, they are doing so many things in lockstep, Mm -hmm. doing smart, fun, exciting stories built on Marvel continuity, but feel so fresh and easy to pick up and dive into. 
Next up is Weapon H, number five. This is written by Greg Pak, with pencils by Corey Smith, inks by Terry Pallett, Keith Champagne, Scott Hanna, and Walden Wong, colors by Maury Hollowell and Chris Sotomayor, with letters by Joe Caramagna. What happens when the Weapon H is restrained, tied up, taken captive by Roxanne? Well, we find out in this issue. And come on, the first page we open up, and we see Weapon H restrained. It's a great, great full-page spread of these kind of glowing chains holding back this kind of resigned Weapon H. And uh, when you try and keep a Hulk mutant thing held back, like nothing good is going to come of it. But speaking of the last two issues of Thor and of Tony Stark Iron Man, I love the supporting characters that have been built up in those series so far. And I really feel the same way about the supporting characters in Weapon H. And I'm specifically thinking of Man-Thing because there is not enough Man-Thing weirdness no matter what, no matter ever. I love it so much. There's really great dastardly action that goes on here. And then if you're looking for weird awesome, super different, super unique Marvel comics, then Weapon H is absolutely the one. Totally. Man-Thing, like the genetically engineered or whatever it is, Mm Man-Thing is great. But also Brood Dude, as I'm now calling him. Brood Dude is my new favorite character. He was just a dude who Roxxon messed with and fused his body with brood parts and brood DNA. And he's just like, hey, let's let's team up, guy. What are we doing? (laughs) He's like, you know, look at me. I'm a monster. <laughs> yeah. Let's have some fun. Uh, it's really great. And what I'm really enjoying about this is that they are moving the story along at such a clip mm-hmm. and like getting you to big things. There's there's stuff in here that I did not expect them to get to by issue five. Right. It's like, oh, that, that's cool. You get there by the end of the first year or right, whatever. Right. No, they are full steam ahead. It's this massively violent book, but it's quirky with an emotional core, mm-hmm. which makes it really great. All right. On to X-Men Gold number 32. In this book, we got fire and ice mixing in new and exciting ways. Hachimachi. Uh, This book written by Mark Guggenheim, art by Perry Perez, colors by J. David Ramos, and letters by Corey Petit. This one is also, aside from like the funny, you know, bit that I just talked about, Mm -hmm. there's the story of Rachel Gray, and it's such a heartbreaker. She first appeared way back when in the original Days of Future Past story, you know, like the Mm -hmm. swan song for uh, Claremont and Burns' partnership on X-Men. And... She has these immense psychic powers that make her a target to be a puppet by evil people. They turn her into a tracker and a hunter of mutants. That was her thing. She was from the future, and she was going and finding mutants. It's Mm -hmm. it's terrible. And she's always got that sort of in the back of her head, even though she's been through so much more since. But her being roped into reliving all of that by Mesmero in these issues is really one of the most disgusting, horrible violations in comic. It's just, it's really upsetting. And, you know, I I can't wait to see her fully get past that, but I just really want her to destroy Mesmero very (laughs) disgustingly. Yeah. Moving on from Rachel to mom. Mom. Jean. Mom Jean. Uh, Oh, mom Jean. Not mom jeans. Mom jeans. Mom Jean. Familiar with them. Uh, This is X-Men Red number six. It's written by Tom Taylor with art by Carmen Carnero, colors by Rain Barreto, and letters by Corey Petit. There's some really interesting stuff happening in X-Men Red. I feel like, you know, speaking of, you mentioned Weapon H and how things are moving on, moving along narratively in a really interesting way. I definitely feel the same about X-Men Red because we've kind of established the base mentality or goals 
of the X-Men Red Squad. They kind of are working on a really interesting kind of political, global level. And what I really love about this issue is that we kind of see things from a super, super personal level. We kind of take that big, giant mutant relations narrative and concept, and it's all collapsed down. And we, we get that right away um, in this story that we see kind of gentles upbringing a little bit. We see him as an outsider in Wakanda. We see him just subject to the terrible hatred that comes mutants ways. I think it's such an awesome idea to have him be what that's the big question is like he he's told as a child that he's not Wakandan, that he is from, you know, that he's different, that he's not worthy of the name, things like that. But it's so interesting because, you know, it, it just speaks to the pervasiveness of that idea. We know that Wakanda can be incredibly insular. And, uh, you know, in that way, it feels right, but it also feels so wrong. And uh, to get that perspective and then we zoom back into the present day. And the other big thing that I'm loving is we have our kind of big villain, and that's Cassandra Nova. And there is a, a clash brewing between these characters that's really, really interesting and going to be really interesting to see where we come out the other side. Totally. I also love that Tom Taylor is just like finding opportunities to give the best moments in the book to Laura yeah. and Gabby. Yeah, of course. And it's just like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> Gabby gets to name the new Cerebro, yeah. uh, which is tremendous. Yeah, it's so good. And the advice from Gambit uh, is really, really good. If you want to see Tom Taylor in person, uh, <gasps> because he is from Australia, he's going to be at the This Week in Marvel panel at San Diego Comic-Con. Nice. Yes, we're going to have him there. If you can't make it to the panel, which is Friday, July 20th at 3 p.m., room 25 ABC at Comic-Con, Please come because I'm going to be giving stuff away. We're going to have a fun chat. It'll be a great time. But if you can't make it to that, we will also have that as our next episode of This Week in Marvel. But I'm excited to have Tom. That's a big get. Yeah. That's awesome. Tom and Donnie. Oh, man. T&D. Oh, man. Uh, plus wow. C.B. Cebulski. <laughs> uh, should not forget him. I'm excited. Lots of fun stuff. We also have three True Believers issues this week. That's uh, three True Believers Fantastic Four issues. $1 comics. There's FF by John Byrne, number one. FF by Walter Simonson, number one, and FF The Coming of Herbie, number one. Herbie! Collections on sale this week include Falcon Take Flight, Invincible Iron Man, The Search for Tony Stark, Legion, Trauma, Marvel 2 in 1 Volume 1, Fate of the Four, Ms. Marvel Volume 9, Scar, Son of Hulk, The Complete Collection, Spider Man Deadpool Volume 6, WLMD. Star Wars Journey to Star Wars The Last Jedi Captain Phasma in hardcover and Star Wars Legends Epic Collection The Original Marvel Years Volume 3. On the Marvel app this week there's a bunch of books uh, including Trouble is added to the Marvel app this week. That's a it's an interesting one. It's a polarizing hmm. book. Uh, I think you should check it out if you're if you don't know anything about it go in cold and let me know what you think. Digital collections on sale this week, the books that we talked about, uh, plus there's some What If in there, The Dark Avengers, plus Earth's Mightiest Heroes and Avengers Collection. Good it's things, a, good it's things. A, it's a big week for What If. We just announced the, the new What If books coming out in October. It's my favorite series Ooh, of all time. Yeah. I love it. Tons of stuff on Marvel Unlimited this week. Lots and lots of old school Daredevil in there, plus lots of Man-Thing just for you, Tucker. Yes! <laughs> that was, a, that was yes. a good reaction. Yes. Uh, plenty of stuff in there. You can find the list of all the comics that are being added to all these places on Marvel.com, the news story, all those good places. We'll be back next week with another regular episode of Marvel's The Polis. But mm -hmm. again, 
Comic Con is coming. Oh, yeah. Safe travels. Have a great time. Thank Enjoy. you. Enjoy. Thank you. Uh, give, Do you want me to bring you anything? Um, a fish taco. I, I mean, put it in your back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> and just leave it there. Okay. 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 If you have to launder your your pants, do it. Just leave it in there. It's fine. You want, so you want me to wash the pants with the fish taco in? Yes. Right. You're fulfilling a very long <laughs> dream of mine. And then on that note, <laughs> let's end this episode. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe.